Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. The Brooks is open in Overton Park, home to Memphis art collection since 1916. The Memphis Brooks Museum of Art holds the largest collection of world art in the region, with more than 10,000 works spanning 5,000 years of art and cultures. Remember, every Wednesday is free and open until 8 p.m. They are a proud sponsor of WYXR. For more information about the museum and their exhibitions, visit brooksmuseum.org. You belong at the Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM at Crosstown. I'm Emily Trenum, the Memphis Metropolis host. And this program, I'm welcoming Luther Mercer, who is the CEO of Community Lift, a very leading community development organization here in Memphis. It's been around for a while, but he's new, new ish, I should say. So welcome to Memphis Metropolis. Well, thank you, Emily, for having me. Um, you know, again, I was not actually aware of your program until you emailed me. And so I'm glad to be introduced to a new podcast as well. So thank you. Definitely. Definitely. Well, it's it's all about the built environment. So it's um, I do a lot of you know shows about neighborhoods, community development and planning architecture. So and the number you can go back and listen to past shows. I'm sure a number of people, colleagues and peers of yours have been on. I'm, I'm persuaded to be on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Luther, let's just start off um, before we really get into the nuts and bolts of Lyft, which is a very interesting organization. Let's just talk about a little bit about your professional journey um, and I'm in, of course, I'm interested if you're originally from Memphis or that kind of thing too. And then, and then what, um, what brought you to Lyft? What made you think, you know, this is a really a perfect opportunity for me at this time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, you know, it's also, uh, uh, River City Capital, community live and River City Capital. So yeah, yeah, you're right. We, we need to talk about yeah, that. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, well, I'm originally from Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, but went to law school here, uh, and then I left and went to law school in Egypt and uh, studied uh, international trade, international criminal law, and Islamic legal system. And so the path I thought I was going to be on was one uh, very early on in doing a lot of international law and, and work and trade, and so came back and finished and then went to China for two years. And I worked for the uh, Chinese government, studied Chinese, and then I taught at Bay University for a year, studied Chinese. And uh, even took a path of enlightenment on that journey. I went down to uh, Thailand, lived in a Buddhist temple for a while. I practiced Vipassana meditation. Another long story that's for another time. Uh, but... Uh, uh, so I thought I was going to stay in an international trade framework. Um, I had connected with a uh, former ambassador to uh, China, U.S. ambassador to China's 
right-hand person when uh, he was leaving. And um, about two weeks after, he passed away. And then SARS happened. And so that brought me back to the States. And um, during that time, uh, that might have been the first time I was exposed to uh, community development uh, while I was in China. That's so. That's quite a. That's quite a background. Oh well, thank you. Well, thank. You. How many lang- How many languages do you? Speak? Well, I only claim Chinese Mandarin at this point, but you know, I I spent time and uh, I spent time doing projects. I was in Russia. I was uh, Cuba, uh, Tanzania, uh, Peru. Um, uh, now, okay. Uh, um, let me see. I was in London. I was in Ghana. Uh, so I got a chance to do a lot of international work over the years. Um, but I only claim, I still only claim uh, Mandarin because that's really the one I got a, a certain level of fluency in while I lived there for two years. And when I came back, uh, I, you know, I was kind of thrown for a loop. So, you know, I got involved in academia. I got involved in consulting. Um, I got involved in doing some business, politics, policy. Um, and one of my stops was um, in the area of, um, you know, working with some of the local foundations through organizations and doing things around policy, advocacy. Um, but then moved into um, a space where I was doing um, 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 uh, development. That was my uh, most recent stop before Lyft, and that was Whole Child Strategies. You mean real estate development or fund uh, development? No, no, like community. Community. Oh, com- yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, like I said, I did a lot of different things. Uh, my consulting did that was strategy across the board, international projects. That was some of the things I mentioned. I did some uh, community, some uh, international development work while I was in Tanzania, um, and so um, Ghana. We were looking at the social, political, economic system there. Did some research. Uh, so, um, in that, um, I, I was doing some policy advocacy work in education, and of course, you know. There had been a major move here uh, in Memphis around really looking at education reform. And so spent some time in that area, but then realizing that education, of course, and schools are one element, but they're still involved with the community. And so that moved um, when there was some investment going into uh, that side of the work. Uh, Some asked me to shift and come over and start working in some of the community development space. And that's what helped uh, me move over to hotel strategies and the work they were doing in the North of Memphis, uh, specifically in the Klondike Smokey city area. So I got a chance to, learn about um, that heavily, and then asked by Eric Robinson, former CEO of 
community living room city capital to come over to the board, uh, which I was on for about four years. Uh, in that process, um, you know, learning about and then also getting engaged in some of the community development work that was happening, uh, realizing that some of the level of skills that I had <clears throat> attained over the years uh, could really be advantageous uh, in the space. And so I uh, worked with the uh, whole chapel over uh, three years and of course, uh, Eric uh, had a great opportunity, and in that uh, began my journey around thinking about what I could continue to contribute to the space, and um, this led me to, you know, look at the opportunity to lead Lyft in River City Capital at its next stage, and uh, it, it worked out that way, you know, it was over uh, almost a, almost a year long, so it's about eight months and uh, about ninety candidates. Uh, but uh, I was fortunate enough to be, have an opportunity to be selected. So, how did your? Um, I mean, the work of I'm very familiar with whole child strategies, and while you know the it's it's. Um, you know, the work looks is looking at, you know, systems and policy. Yes. A lot of the day-to-day -day work is very granular. Yes. It's knocking on doors. I know several people that work there. And um, so how did your work and some of this international work inform, you know, the work in that neighborhood or did it? Well, it, it did. Um, well, let me, let me give you an example. So I, my title at community, I mean, at uh, Hotel Strategies was, um, director of advocacy, uh, sustainability, and development. And so policy development, but it also sustainability of the organization. You know, how do you create um, this? So in my international work, um, for example, uh, let's take uh, Tanzania, for example. Um, what you what I found was um, or what I worked through was a lot of research that dealt with community development. Like, what does that look like um, when you have, especially from an international standpoint, um, countries that operated where I operated in uh, needing services, needing um access to capital, needing um, 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 infrastructure. Uh, what does that look like? And so those experiences, we don't think about them, but they are well applicable in the context of our own local communities. And that's how, Absolutely. That's, that's the way it translated directly into this work. That's interesting. And for people that I don't think whole child strategies has been on the program. So people that don't know, as Lucia said, it's an organization that really supports children and families um, holistically focused on the focused on the Clinic Smoky City neighborhood, which is part of North Memphis, a relatively small neighborhood. So it's very intense and um, tries to provide all kinds of supports. Because as you said, Luther, there's just um, 
you know, educational attainment, there's just so much more than than schools, um, the actual school. And so so that's what whole child strategies is all about. Just not that we're talking about that mainly today, but since we talked about it, I wanted to. I wanted to explain to people what it was in case they hadn't heard. Well, that's super interesting. And that that makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, a lot of poor communities everywhere suffer from a lot of the same, um, you know, substandard housing and access to healthy foods. And, you know, if if you work at the neighborhood level, sometimes it's hard to remember that, you know, we're not alone in this no, battle. No, no, no. And, you know, one of the funny things about, uh, you know, having this conversation with people, um, you know, we we here in America have a construct that, you know, sometimes in the microcosm of America, community and what community means. Well, that means the same thing internationally in most communities, you know, what makes up What's the infrastructure? And then how are they sustainable? And, you know, I always like to tell people, uh, one of the things I found out instantly working in some of these areas, the difference I found internationally was financing, credit, you know. And, you know, in some of these countries, uh, credit does not exist. You know, you either have money or you don't. Uh, in America, you know, we have institutions and structures, and a modern-day economy is created off of the idea that there's financing, there's credit, their ability to invest, things like that. And so that slither of appreciation is really where I found the difference line, you know, and uh, that in turn... Um, uh, was a major thing, but you know, this is the uh, uh, an important thing to think about, and I hope people do when they think about um, the challenges that disinvested places are faced with. Um, it is usually a lack of capital, and when that capital dries up. There's no way to sustain the things that help to make up the fundamental structures of community. Also, I feel like in outside of the U.S., sometimes, you know, capital is defined differently. Like it could be a cow, could be your family's primary asset. And um, of course, I don't know what the urban example that is, but that's not how we, we think of capital in terms of Correct. dollars. Right. And, 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 you know, but that model that you're talking about internationally, the reason they look at it that way is because historically, that's what societies, that was your capital. Your capital was you had a cow or, you, you know, you had, uh, you know, 12 goats or, you know, or a loom, uh, yeah. you know. Yes, and barter and agriculture and all those things play, you know, and this is the difference between a modern economy of where we have the the level of uh, uh, currency and and then 
the new models of how to engage in building and building uh, uh, infrastructure, things like that, as opposed to other countries still developing in that space. Yeah, that's interesting. The, um, when I was in graduate school, I did an internship in Wisconsin, and I worked for a an organization that did microloans through the SBA. Yeah. And of course, microloans aren't nearly as prominent here. But I remember, you know, for capital, um, for for collateral, uh, we would take anything. Yeah. I mean, we would take, you know, a new bike. Yeah. And and really, that changed my thinking about, okay, what's an asset? And or a really raggedy used car. Like, we would pretty much take anything. Because these, these loans required some collateral and um, and it, like I said, I do, that was an eye opener to me because um, you do, I do. I always did think of capitalist money or maybe you know a house, obviously. Right, right. But and you know the last point on that is that again the difference of, between that and you know here uh, in the United States is that these assets that you're speaking of, when um, someone does not have a cash asset or a tangible asset that you can collateralize, then the ability to obtain more resources and then move that into building, investing, things like that is not present. Yeah. That's so it was a very bit a very long introduction, but it's fast. Your background is fascinating and and bringing, you know, what you've learned and observed to bear locally, I think, um, is very important. So let's talk about um, let's talk about shift gears and talk about community lift and what it is. And, you know, I always ask people to tell me their elevator speech. What is community lift? And what does it do? And then we'll also talk about River City Capital, which is a subsidiary um, uh, as well. Yeah. So, well, um, the elevator speech, <laughs> as, you, <laughs> as you coined it, um, is really about revitalizing and investing in disinvested communities and helping those communities become sustainable and move forward in the 21st century. Back to a decade ago, uh, when Lyft uh, was founded, and now I know uh, that you were one of the people responsible for hiring, you know, our first uh, founding uh, director or, or uh, CEO, Eric Robinson. Um, you know, I think there was an idea of looking at all the things that were happening in Memphis, but specifically in areas where that disinvestment had occurred and trying to utilize a key element of that community, CDCs, neighborhood associations, um, to advance those communities. Those things would be a hub and we build up capacity, build up the resources in them in order for them to be a hub to help in the overall spurring of uh, reinvestment and, and thriving community. And so uh, Frazier, CDC is a great example. Uh, Binghampton is a great example. And over the years, 
um, where those communities were and where they are now. And CECs have played a major role in that. Um, and so... so what, yes, and what are the tools that Lyft uses to build those, help those organizations succeed? So one on the community Lyft side is grants. Um, and so we grant out money to those CDCs to help build capacity um, to neighborhood associations, partnerships. Uh, we have several funds, CDC Capacity Fund, the Memphis Empowerment Fund. Uh, we have an Accelerate Memphis Fund. Um, so there's a lot of different funds, and they specifically target uh, needs, structural elements to help those communities to revitalize. River City Capital does it in a specific way. It is a CDFI. For those who do not know what that is, it is a community development financial institution, special designation under the Department of uh, Treasury that we get money from uh, banks, others that we can loan out uh, between one and eight percent to small businesses in those disinvested communities in the hope that those small businesses will then be able to grow and all those elements aligned will be able to work together in order to, again, revitalize these critical areas. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Luther Mercer, who's the CEO of Community Lift. And we're talking about that organization as well as its subsidiary, River City Capital. So the, um, so the, I am very familiar with the, um, with Community Lift and was with a group of people was involved in and starting it up. And one of the reasons, and I'm sure you know all this history, one of the reasons we did that is because there was, um, there was a, a very, um, a minimal funding environment here. Um, there weren't any, uh, there was very little, you know, national foundation activity. There was a couple of, you know, national intermediaries they did not have offices here for the most part. And, you know, a lot of banks, bank foundations, we just weren't on their radar screen. And I think it was a combination of, you know, political leadership, low capacity in the community development industry, a lot of things. But Community Lift was formed to kind of address those issues and to try to, you know, get, get resources, support this, the community development industry. Uh, and I guess my question is the... Um, you know, that's, I think, fortunately, that's changed some. Um, there's, you know, some, nat some national foundations are now more active here. Um, and uh, LISC, Local um, Initiative Support Corporation, which is um, a national intermediary, open an office here. They're still really getting going. But um, the I think the landscape has changed in a good way. Um, and how does that affect, how has that affected Lyft? I mean, the need is still great. There's just no way um, all of these things together 
Um, I mean, we, we all could be doing this for a hundred years. Right. I missed the need is still there, but I'm wondering if it has changed your model or your approach or at all um, since um, since Slip was founded. Well, you know, I, my uh, first date was February first, uh, so 2022. So you know. I'm still drinking water from a water hose, you know. We're, we're moving, uh, we're moving, yeah, we're, we're moving really fast. But uh, because of that, four years on the board, of course, uh, that was extremely helpful and understanding the landscape, and also could get off to the races. But to to give you just a big overview, uh, yes, the need is still great. Um, it's always good to have uh, as many organizations and structures adding to the discussion and resources. So, as you mentioned, Liz, um, we have National Foundation that works with us, Kretzky Foundation, local foundations like Community Foundation and High Foundation and CC. They've been great partners to the work uh, recently. Uh, because of the TANF grant, uh, for those who uh, may not be um, uh, know anything about that, it's the Tennessee Assistance uh, Family um, um, Needy Families. Yeah. Is it needy? It's equivalent of what people call yeah. welfare, yes. right? We used to call welfare. Yeah. But and uh, University of Memphis. Um, got not only a planning grant, but also a part of the resource, about $25 million to help uh, in the area. And uh, they wanted uh, Community Lift and River City uh, Capital to be a partner. So we've added a new partner. And uh, uh, when I came on board, they reached out and uh, they we've added them as well. So what is happening now is there's more entities that are becoming involved, more resources to be deployed, but we're also expanding because we realize the community, the CDCs and neighborhood associations, all the things that I've mentioned are still access points, hubs, and we've got to support them. But we've got to also look at the expansion element of, okay, what variables in this context are we missing? What are the things that also directly and indirectly impact this work that we can play a role also as an intermediary? And what are those? That's a good, a great that, question. That is a great question. Um, um, and so, as I just mentioned, the TANF element is one of those first beginnings of that expansion. Um, and the exploration and the getting of the resources and looking at families in need, utilizing the structure we already have in the mission, but also saying, okay, what, again, like I said, what are we missing? Um, that, again, that's in six months. So please excuse me if uh, all of those variables. You haven't solved all the problems yet. <laughs> uh, however, um, I want to use uh, another example. We'll use COVID. COVID uh, exposed a lot of things, and it showed, it exacerbated a lot of problems around 
what else has happened in the community that we were not looking at or the fact that we realized we need to allocate more resources to. So when we we were able to receive uh, additional resources during that time um, that really helped sustain some entities that they could apply grants for, uh, also on the business side, they could apply for loans and forgivable loans. So what we saw was that here are some of the things around variables that I'm mentioning. But what happens when you have new economies being shaped through a 21st century model of efficiency and technology? What happens when you have variables like uh, uh, interest rates, which haven't been a certain way for over 20 years, 30 years, now kick back into play where we're probably going to be moving back to a place where we have three, four percent. Now, you and I grew up at a time where, okay, yeah, that was normal <laughs> for a lot of people. Uh, you know, I still remember the 80s growing up when uh, a 12 percent interest rate was not something that was unheard of. But Listen, I bought my first home in the 80s, yes. and it was that was interest that's how much interest rates were um 12 percent 15 percent it's hard to wrap your mind around that now but that's what it was for everybody exactly exactly i still remember when people were doing uh three mortgages you know uh yeah but uh um um um, and taking out third mortgages and stuff like that in the 80s i mean it wasn't unheard of but um those reinstitution of those types of things in the market, that looks as if we're going for a period of time um, back to some of those things. And then what's that going to look like for some of these same disinvested communities? So we're having to adjust to realities. And I'm trying to get um, uh, what I've been working on as a strategy of looking at where we are, where we've come from, but where we are now, and being prepared for what these needs are going to look like. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, the um, certainly for community development corporations, I mean, a big part of the business model has been home ownership. And that's just one example of the, um, of the, you know, the way those models might have to change. And then, of course, during COVID, you know, the impact of, um, you know, the digital divide became even more uh, acute in these communities, you know, sort of circling back to your technology piece. So so I guess part of your challenge is to, you know, help organizations build their capacity to be sort of resilient and then um, provide resources to help them do that. And and to build out for the 21st century. I mean, look, you know, a lot of models in CDCs also were more social service. You know, okay, you know, this is how we're going to handle. Well, um, not saying that's not good, but here's the reality of where if we are, to be community creators. And that's how I like to think of a community living from River City Capital, community creators now. 
helping to develop that and using that terminology, then we have to include those new 21st century elements in our discussion of what we need to do. So there's also additional funds that we're creating uh, that um, we're working through right now. Uh, so it's it's a um, it's a real process, and uh, hopefully within the next uh, year or so, we'll have some of those key elements present. Well, and how do you, I mean, we talked a minute ago about whole child strategies and how community organizing is so such an important part of their work. Like, how does that play out in this sort of transition to the 21st century? Um, it's not just the CDCs that need to up their game, but and maybe that's not a fair right. term, but, um, but how do you, um, how do you bring some of these positive needed and positive changes to the individual family level? Well, again, that's, that's the work, uh, you know, that's, again, you, you're actually raising the question that in my last five, six months, uh, have my team work on saying, this is what we've got now to understand, know, and answer those variables. Well, and some CDCs do have youth programs, um, you know, not that many necessarily, but do you hope to bring in a bigger element because of, I guess, I guess that's sort of one of my questions. Um, what's the... Um, I guess the Luther Mercer vision for the organization is some of what you've just articulated, but is, um, do you see bringing in a bigger youth? And well, you, you mentioned TANF. So maybe, I, maybe you've already answered my question, but about, I'm just thinking about, you know, you work with families um, before and I think of CDC's a lot of times is people that work on place, not, not as, not necessarily as much on the people side. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I think well, I tried to address uh, earlier uh, this uh, particular question, but to reiterate um, what I am focused on is the mission is still the same. It's the alignment of our two organizations. And then, fundamentally addressing the very things that you mentioning about working with partners as well as the continued work with CDCs, neighborhood organizations, but also with other partners, as I mentioned to you, uh, having some partners like University of Memphis and others and saying, okay, we now know that there's, again, variables in housing, variables in uh, uh, um, uh, small business variables in this new found reality around what we are seeing as uh, a a a some a, 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 a something being brought in like a COVID to exacerbate. So how do we one expand our resources footprint, get more resources in? to do the current work to look at new funds that we know uh, as we look at these new variables and realities that we're going to need like a strategic project fund 
like a uh, loan loss reserve, which is a reserve for loans that uh, we're having taking riskier, uh, 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 doing riskier loans. But this is a way in this new time to put a loss reserve fund to help support that. That's very neat. And then also uh, a fund that looks at um, things like um, what happens in, in, in a situation where there's a development project and there's pre-development things like site control, architecture fees, other things that, you know, these organizations can't go get loans on. You know, they... You know, those are things kind of already built in uh, structurally that are expected, um, but very much costly. So how do we get money to those things? Well, that's that's been a challenge for years. And um, the lack of any kind of pre-planning money um, and like to do a feasibility study or all those things. That's a great point. And it seems like that's even more acute now with the rollout of the Memphis 3.0 plan and the expectation that this, the neighborhood based organizations are going to do some of those projects or partner on them or pick up on where the public investment has been. If there's no money, seed money, um, like a private sector developer would have, um, nothing happens. I mean, you got to have that. You got to have that. that start Absolutely. Money. And so based on that, that's where we are. So, um, you know, I've worked in community development for, you know, really almost 20 years. And, you know, through my entire career, um, we never really had gentrification here in Memphis. And I mean, there was some displacement mainly related to the Hope Six projects. You know, people in Greenlaw had to move out when Uptown came. I mean, there was definitely that. Um, but compared to other cities, um, just wasn't really an issue. And that is not at all the case now. Um, and, and how are you, how is Lyft sort of thinking through that with neighborhood neighborhoods or CDCs that, um, where it's happening and they want to help people stay or or mitigating it. So if you're going, I'm thinking about a neighborhood like the Heights is doing a lot of really great work. They're putting in green line how do they sort of try to manage that so it stays a great neighborhood for people that live there, but um, doesn't go over the edge? That's a I realize that's a big yes. question, um, but um, but I'm sure you've thought about yes. it. Yes, and thus the reason for the partnership with the University of Rent around TANF. <laughs> thus the reason for the increasing of uh, current money and funds. Uh, to current work, uh, that's the reason for pre-development. All those things that I just mentioned, that is the reason that we're doing what we're doing because it is true that what you mentioned that using the term gentrification was a little bit different in Memphis, but it is becoming more of a similar conversation uh, and and similar like what happened in Chicago and New York and Baltimore is happening here. And so we believe that these things that we're developing 
uh, will help to mitigate uh, as well as address some of the questions that you just asked around how do you do that? Yeah, it's something that I think about. It's just all the you know great changes that are happening. Um, just wanting current and existing residents to benefit Absolutely. from those and not have to not have to move out or move on because they can no longer, you know, the rents have gone up and they can no longer Absolutely. afford it. Absolutely. And then of course, as I mentioned to you, working with partners. Um, and, and that's the vision. The vision is the expansion. And addressing these needs along with our current work. And uh, I think that Lyft can be a major component to this. Uh, You know, we already have the built-in framework, uh, the reputation, uh, the background, the team that can help as an intermediary to really work with um, a lot of the people um, in those areas to become sustainable. So at one time, Lyft was doing some sort of targeted work in the Soulsville area. You know, they helped found the Slim House, and then there were some other projects in that area, you know, some sort of potential streetscape improvements on Macklemore, I think. Are any of those things still in the hopper? I'm sure some things got backburnered because of COVID. Oh, well, you know, we have a... Uh, 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 the things we're doing on what's called the Accelerate Memphis side, where we have funds that are available to help in areas like South City and Uptown uh, to do uh, hopefully projects and similar work that can help to advance like we did uh, in uh, the uh, areas that I mentioned we were doing Slim House and others. So we're, we have and are doing but that entire accelerated Memphis work stopped in COVID for two years. And so um, we now are moving back into that. And as of January, really started getting kicked up again. Uh, and then when I was coming on board, we were really trying to address and finalize some directions with some of the uh, partners that we have who have gotten some funding to do that. So Luther, what, what do you want to tell people about community lift or river city capital that I haven't asked you? Is there, um, or how can people help you or what, what else would you like people to know? Well, you know, first of all, thank you for having me, Emily. And, and really this program itself, I think is the, uh, it, it, you know, we got a chance to cover a lot of bases, but um, that's the main crux of what really is community left, what really is what we're trying to do. I think we, we've talked through that. What I would like to talk about is support. Um, as people are listening to this, uh, communitylift.org, rivercitycapital.org, please take time to go by and look at these sites and the work. Um, um, please, you know, as many times as you can listen to this podcast, uh, listen and pass it on um, to people, developers, finance people, 
uh, community people are interested in building community. And um, hopefully people will reach out um, and say, hey, you know, I have something to offer uh, around this work and I want to find my way to help and we always need it. And so that's what I really want people to know. Yeah, I think the support is badly needed. Um, and and as you said earlier, you know, River City Capital does, you know, lending for small businesses in disenfranchised neighborhoods. And that's a great way. And, and investment in River City is a great way to help small businesses, which, you know, is very, very important. Also, what you didn't mention, but I think LIP does, is you also work with um, do some funding for small neighborhood projects through you mentioned neighbor associations, but I also think there's this, there used to be a small grant program um, that neighbor associations could go after for a small project. If you, do you yes, still have that? Do. Okay. When, so when I mentioned Memphis Empowerment Fund, uh, you know, the, that, that was uh, that area of uh, those small, smaller grants. Right. So obviously what we're talking about mainly is people giving you resources, giving you money, which you needed. But if there's or if there's neighborhood folks on here that weren't aware of this small fund that exists, yes. too. So just want to make sure people know. Absolutely. About Absolutely. So but, and just I guess last question, you're the um, your programs on, on the lift and the River City side are citywide, right? They're not necessarily targeted just to specific neighborhoods. No, no. I mean, we, we work within the Memphis, of course, Shelby County area. But again, our target is in these areas that have been disinvested. This has been very informative. Uh, you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum, the host. I'm going to talk to Luther Mercer, who's the CEO of Community Lift, which includes River City Capital. And Luther, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Emily. Again, it's a pleasure. Um, and then thank you also for helping to uh, get Community Lift and River City Capital going. And uh we will, you know, uh, thank you for your role in the work as well. That was a journey as well, but uh, ultimately a successful yeah. one. Okay, great. Memphis Listening Lab proudly supports WYXR. They provide a curated collection of music and music history, a forum for music-related talks and performances, and a music education, appreciation, and experimentation space located in Crosstown Concourse. The lab is open Tuesday through Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can find out more information on their Instagram page at Memphis Listening Lab or on their website at memphislisteninglab.org. been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.